0: On the 20th of May 1604, a knot of desperate Catholic men met at the Duck and Drake on London Strand and began to plot blowing up their Houses of Parliament. Or maybe they didn't. The meetings in all the books. But like almost everything else in the Gunpowder story, as we've seen at previous discussions at the History Café, there's absolutely no historically reliable evidence that it ever happened. Instead, there's a great deal of evidence, and good evidence, that the story of the meeting very conveniently suited the purposes of the King's Chief Minister, Robert Cecil. Chances are, he invented it. But why should he want to? Hello, good to see you at the History Cafe. This is where we come to talk, usually about historical stories everyone knows. Just want to try out some new ideas. I'm John Rosebank.
1: And I'm Penelope Middlebow. At the History Cafe, we revisit stories that have got stuck in our collective memory, but just don't look quite right to us.
0: So get yourself a coffee, pull up a chair, and let's see what happens.
1: Last time at History Cafe we discovered that it would have suited Robert Cecil to tar the English Catholics with a violent and treasonable plot in 1604 or 1605 since it would badly discredit their supporters around King James. Catholic sympathisers at the time included a number of the most powerful courtiers around the king. And these were men who had previously been allies of Cecil's archenemy, the Earl of Essex, and who personally detested Cecil. In particular, we discovered it suited Cecil to date the beginning of the Gunpowder Plot back to May 1604 since that was before James I finally began to turn unpleasant on the Catholics and before Cecil himself squashed any hopes that there might be concessions to English Catholics in the peace treaty he was then starting to negotiate with the Spanish. In other words, if the plot began in May 1604, neither the King nor his Chief Minister could be blamed. But there's another reason Cecil would have loved to date the Gunpowder Plot back to May 1604. And perhaps it's the most obvious one of them all.
0: One of the most surprising things, to us anyway, about accounts of the Gunpowder Plot is that they are completely silent about Parliament. But wasn't the plot all about blowing Parliament up? So shouldn't we be asking as historians, why Parliament? What was going on there? If we're going to understand why Fawkes and a crew of discontented Catholics should want to blow Parliament up, or more accurately, given the records we have, why Cecil should want us to think that Fawkes and a crew of discontented Catholics wanted to blow Parliament up, we have to understand what Parliament was doing. Fortunately, we know a good deal about Parliament just at this time.
1: Now, we have to forget our modern image of Parliament, meeting for much of every year. Because
0: course, these days, only a real tyrant would try to sidestep a democratically elected Parliament.
1: But England, around 1600, was not a democracy. Elizabeth had reigned for 45 years, and Parliament had only met in 19 of them. 19 out of 45. And then only for an average of
0: six weeks and three days. In 1995, an historian, Conrad Russell... In fact, he was Earl Russell, and a distinguished parliamentarian himself, gave a celebrated series of Cambridge lectures on King James's parliaments. They were finally published in 2011, some years after Russell's death. Now, the last time Parliament had met before the 5th of November, 1605, the day Fawkes was supposedly found with his barrels of gunpowder, the last time it had met was early in 1604. Conrad Russell's account of the Parliament of 1604 is still the best there is. And what it tells us is that Robert Cecil was facing a full-blown parliamentary crisis.
1: The Parliament of 1604 assembled on the 19th of March and sat on and off until the 7th of July. Now, these were the men Guy Fawkes is supposed to have wanted to murder a year later. March 1604 was the first time King James had called a Parliament, even though he'd been king for a year. And he'd only called it then because he was chronically short of money. Early modern English monarchs were always short of money, but James was among the most free spending of them all. Modern taxes, including income tax, were far in the future and James had to ask Parliament every time he needed extra cash. If they were convinced by his need, MPs would vote for a tax, which meant a fixed sum of money collected slowly and painfully in coins, and it was always unpopular. Robert Cecil as we know, was James's chief minister, and it was his duty to get the government's legislation passed in Parliament. So, he'd prepared a programme of taxes for Parliament to vote on, and he'd lined up MPs in the Commons to guide it through. This was because he was now sitting in the Lords, not the House of Commons, because he had a title, Baron Essendine.
0: Given the crisis in royal finances, it was vital they succeeded. Now, all this talk of taxes may sound like it's got nothing at all to do with the gunpowder plot, but hang on in there with us. It's got everything to do with the gunpowder plot. Getting Parliament to agree to new taxes in 1604 was going to be especially tricky because the tax collectors were still trying to gather the taxes Parliament had voted back in 1601. And at this time, conventionally, Parliament never voted new taxes until the old ones had been fully paid in. In 1604 parliament was also paying out poor relief to help victims of the plague of 1603 during which nearly a quarter of londoners had died
1: but whatever the obstacles the king was short of cash and it was up to
0: cecil to find a way to get more on the day parliament met 19th of march 1604 the king himself strode in and harangued the assembled lords and commons on a whole new slate of laws that he wanted it was something elizabeth a much cleverer politician would never have done James's pet project turned out to be the union of Scotland and England. He lectured on and on. He was the head and Britain his body. Obviously, he explained he could not have two bodies. England and Scotland must be combined into one country. Then James turned to religion. The Catholic Church, he acknowledged, was the Mother Church and he would be the Catholic's friend if they didn't grow in numbers or try to put him off the throne. With an eye to the upcoming peace talks with Spain, due to start in a couple of months, James told Parliament quite clearly he wanted it to reform the laws so that peaceful Catholics would be left alone.
1: Cecil must have listened in cold disbelief. The king was wrecking any chance of getting taxes through. And he was setting out a programme of religious toleration, which was the opposite of everything Cecil believed in. The commons trooped back to their own chamber And there, Cecil's stooges dutifully jumped up and did their best to outline Cecil's tax proposals. Forget all that stuff about Scotland and the Catholics. What was needed was cash. Now, of course, they droned, all taxes are annoying. But if MPs would only vote for some new annual payments as well as a tax, the king would in return forfeit two of the most hated medieval kinds of taxation, wardship and purveyance. Too arcane even to try explaining here. 400 years later, you can almost still hear the yawns in the house. It would have been a dull enough offer in ordinary times.
0: But apart possibly from their yawns, the house heard Cecil's tax proposals in complete silence. Cecil discovered he was in for one of the most difficult couple of months of his life.
1: When Parliament met in March 1604 Robert Cecil desperately needed it to raise new taxes to pay for King James's extravagances but the king hijacked the opening day and set out his own program which was a union between Scotland and England and toleration for Catholics Cecil's own program for a dull deal on taxes was heard in complete silence
0: What followed that awful opening day was extremely complicated. Historian Conrad Russell's study shows that heated negotiations went on for weeks behind the scenes. There was universal, rather open and shocking, disdain for the new king and his idea of an English-Scottish union. MPs shouted that James's Scotsmen were weeds infecting the English soil. They were starving sheep plundering English fields. And as for his proposals to make life easier for Catholics while the Lords proposed a law to bring back all of Elizabeth's heavy fines on them, which James had so far suspended. The House of Commons wanted to outlaw the Catholics altogether. As the weeks went by, nothing was agreed, and tension agonisingly escalated. According to Comrade Russell, the crunch finally came between the 19th and the 26th of May, 1604. Yep, as you've noticed, if you've been with us at the History Café, that's exactly the same week a few yards up from Parliament, Robert Cecil began peace negotiations with the Spanish and, hey presto, exactly the same week when, according to Cecil's official narrative, at a pub just a few yards further on, the gunpowder plotters were supposed to have met at the Duck and Drake and started planning to blow Parliament up.
1: By the end of that week, 26th of May, it was obvious that Robert Cecil had completely failed in what should have been his main task for these months, to get cash for the King. It had been a fiasco Never in the whole of Elizabeth's long reign had Parliament met and refused to vote any tax at all. On the 30th of May, 1604, James stormed into Parliament and delivered what was described as a savage speech. fought en colère, as the French ambassador described it.
0: Uh, it meant the King was extremely angry. Once James had finished, MPs returned to the House of Commons... Far from being cowed, they debated a strongly-worded protest, which as good as told the king not to order them about. Historian Conrad Russell wrote that the events of that day mark quotes, the catastrophic failure of Robert Cecil's attempt to raise an income for the king, a painfully vivid record of management which failed because it could only imperfectly manage the commons and could not at all manage the king. Well, Cecil's father... Who had on the whole managed Elizabeth's parliaments brilliantly, must have been spinning in his grave. On the 7th of July, that 1604, we're still in the year before the gunpowder plot was supposedly discovered, James stormed into Parliament for a third time. This time he wound the session up. James did not know, says Comrade Russell, what had hit him. There would be no new tax. Through gritted teeth, he assented to the harsh new laws Parliament wanted to impose on Catholics but he called the MPs knaves and fools. I wish, he thundered, you would use your liberty with more modesty in time to come. James then walked out and told his council to ignore the consent he'd given for the new anti-Catholic laws. The new fines on Catholics would not be collected.
1: Perhaps he'd rather die in a ditch. The King prorogued Parliament until February 1605, but there was in reality no knowing when or if it would ever meet again. Now all of this puts the gunpowder story which would flare up so dramatically at the next meeting of Parliament in 1605 into a completely different light. If the Parliament of 1605 again failed to vote any new taxes the finances of James's profligate court would face collapse beyond reckoning and it would all be the fault of Robert Cecil. During the long parliamentary fiasco of 1604 Cecil's already frail standing with James and his hostile entourage of earls had taken the worst imaginable battering. He'd been made to look ridiculous. Cecil would have to find some completely surefire, copper-bottomed, iron-plated, locked-down, fail-safe way to make those MPs do what he wanted whenever they next met, sometime in 1605, he hoped.
0: The Parliament of 1604 had been a disaster for Robert Cecil. In a series of catastrophic meetings around the 20th of May that year, his programme for raising desperately needed taxes had collapsed, along with the King's hopes for a union between Scotland and England, and the King's intentions also to be more tolerant towards his Catholic subjects. Cecil simply had to find a way to get Parliament to behave itself next time it met, by hook, crook, fair means or foul. Oh, so when Parliament did next meet, which was in fact on the 5th of November 1605, what do we find? The assembled MPs and peers are calmly informed that there has been, oh, a devilish Catholic plot to blow the lot of them up. A plot that their King and Cecil have oh so brilliantly foiled. If that didn't make them sit up and vote new taxes, then nothing would. And if it didn't convince the King to drop his lily-livered tolerance to Catholics, then Cecil was a Dutchman. Like the plots we saw Cecil's father and a network of shadowy intelligences discover between the 1570s and the 1590s, the gunpowder plot occurs at a moment and in a manner that served the government's purposes all too conveniently. Historians have shown how those earlier plots had all been a mix of reality, fabrication and entrapment. The gunpowder plot has the sniff of something altogether too strikingly similar.
1: The odour of government contrivance grows stronger in the weeks and months after the 5th of November. After being informed of the plot that day, Parliament met twice more that week, and then not until 21st of January 1606. After four more days, it was again adjourned so that MPs and peers could attend the trial of the gunpowder plotters, or the powder men, as they were called.
0: The trial begins, of course, with the government's account of events. And five times over, the MPs and peers hear that the devilish plot began on the 20th of May 1604. It began, they were informed, five times over, in case any arrived late or misheard, or didn't get the point or would have forgotten, on the 20th of May 1604. Right at the very moment when Parliament had so wilfully, obstinately and obdurately refused to do what the King and Cecil had asked. Right then, that was on the 20th of May 1604, in case you didn't get it the last two times, right at that moment... 20th of May 1604, just a few hundred yards along the road from your precious, prickly, perverse and pig-headed parliament, the dastardly Catholics began plotting to blast the whole lot of you to kingdom come, on the 20th of May 1604. Had the King and Cecil not been so brilliantly astute, so concerned for the welfare of those ungrateful peers and MPs, they would all have been blown to smithereens. Well, the message was pretty plain. MPs and peers have better show more gratitude to the king and his minister this time.
1: The story of the plotter's first meeting, supposedly at the Duck and Drake, has no basis in any reliable historical record. We have to take Cecil's word that it happened. It was either a very fortunate coincidence of dates or a very obvious fake, five times repeated, aimed at a headstrong parliament that had defied king and minister the last time it had met. We should just notice, incidentally, what's happening here. By looking up from the usual extremely dodgy information about the plot and casting our glance around the room a bit, we've got to understand both Cecil and Parliament much better. Instead of reading the documents just for what they tell us about events, we've looked at the small print and asked what they tell us about the people who wrote them. And suddenly we begin to see the supposed events of the plot in a completely different and a much more historically convincing way. Now we can fix them on the solid ground of the other events we know were going on at the time. It's an approach we're going to use over and over, as we unravel this plot even
0: further. But back to the story. Now the hair was running. If the fee-paying audience at the plotter's trials were supposed to believe that the plot had begun all the way back on... 20th of May 1604, then the government's narrative would have to go on unraveling wicked and treasonable deeds for the plotters to be getting on with for the best part of 18 months. All the way until the 5th of November 1605. It was time for a bit of creative plot thickening.
1: It mattered to Robert Cecil to date the beginning of the Gunpowder Plot back to May 1604. But having got the plot going that far back, the government had to find treasonable things for the plotters to be doing for the next 18 months until the 5th of November 1605. So here's the usual, often repeated story. One of the plotters, Thomas Percy, rents a room in Westminster actually we do at last have some proper documentary evidence to go on here there is a lease that shows that percy took the room from the 24th of may 1604 oh no could it even be confirmation that the mysterious duck and drake meeting really had taken place four days earlier
0: well there could also be another perfectly innocent explanation on the 9th of june thomas percy was appointed as gentleman pensioner one of king james's personal bodyguards So a room in Westminster would have been a perfectly sensible thing to have. And of course you might add in brackets, if Percy had wanted to assassinate the King or Robert Cecil, he would have had plenty of opportunities to do it as a royal bodyguard, without going to the trouble of blowing up the Houses of Parliament. But let's not go there. Press on with the government story. According to the King's book, the official government account, Guy Fawkes installed himself in the House as Percy's servant, calling himself John Johnson. According to Fawkes' interrogation, in the middle of the night on 5th of November, the downstairs of the house was occupied by a porter, Gideon Gibbons, and his wife. And this is important later on. There's a tradition that the room was in a building called Vinegar House, but since the old Palace of Westminster burnt down in 1834 and no good plans survived, we don't know exactly where it was. According to the King's book, it was connected through a door in Percy's room to the House of Lords itself.
1: The King's Book claims that they planned to collect gunpowder in Lambeth and then ship it across to Percy's room adjoining Parliament during the night, presumably whenever they got wind that the King was coming. It shouldn't have been a problem to procure enough gunpowder quickly. You'll often read that in 1605 the government had a monopoly on gunpowder. But as historian Mark Nicholls points out, it isn't true. The government monopoly only applied to the City of London, and Parliament was outside the City of London Walls in Westminster. Soldiers had to pay for their own gunpowder, and many quietly sold it to supplement their income. Every merchant ship below London Bridge had a stock of it. As the war with Spain wound down, there was a surplus and it was going cheap. The best stock, however, was in the Tower of London – and the lieutenant in 1604 was the ageing George Harvey, whose regime, according to Wade when he replaced him in August 1605, was lax in the extreme. But another of the things the books on the plot fail to discuss is the problem with gunpowder. It was impossible to keep it for very long, because it decayed and went damp and would then fail to explode. So keeping a powder bomb for any length of time was a non-starter. It's a compelling reason that the plotters, had they in fact taken Percy's room in May 1604 to blow the king up, would have got on with it as soon as possible. And now the problems with this story really begin.
0: King's book Percy rents a room in May 1604 precisely because it's ideally placed to blow Parliament up. What the King's book doesn't mention and nor therefore do history books about the plot which don't bother at all with the Parliament of 1604 is that the conspirators had not only the motive but also more than one perfect opportunity to blow their bomb right there and then. In fact when you look at the circumstances it would have been very weird indeed if they didn't In May 1604, as we've seen, just on the other side of the door from Percy's room, Parliament was noisily, angrily voting in harsh measures against the Catholics. And if they wanted to blow everybody up, including the King, then they could have done it when James came and addressed the Lords and Commons assembled in the Lords' Chamber just on the other side of the door, on the 30th of May or on the 7th of July 1604, It was, in fact, as we shall see, a pretty rare occurrence for the King to come to Parliament at all. But here he was, a sitting duck, twice in six weeks. And what nobody ever mentions is that, on past form, once this Parliament rose, and especially this argumentative, obdurate Parliament, it might not sit again for years. Parliament didn't meet, for example, between 1607 and 1610, between 1610 and 1614, and between 1614 and 1621. Back in 1604 or 1605, there would have been absolutely no point whatever in renting the room and filling it with gunpowder. The plotters couldn't possibly have had any idea if they'd been sitting there for months, years, or perhaps even decades.
1: Besides, the peace Cecil was at that moment negotiating with Spain up the road wasn't going well on toleration for Catholics, and the English Catholics knew it according to the historian Alice Hogg, using some decent evidence from the Catholic Jesuit fathers. So if Percy and Fawkes intended to blow the king up with the lords and commons, their best plan by far would be to do it straight away in 1604, before the king signed a bad peace with Spain, or gave his assent to the new raft of anti-Catholic legislation being cooked up by Parliament, and then sent lords and MPs away until goodness knows only when. If you believe in these Catholic terrorists... 7th of July 1604 should have gone down in English history as the day on which James's rant was silenced by an explosion of gigantic proportions, and the moment when Parliament's harsh new laws against Catholics were forgotten in complete chaos, and perhaps
0: the juncture at which the peace talks with Spain dramatically collapsed. But of course, in the government account, the plotters inexplicably missed their golden opportunity. The plotters, having sat around in Westminster for weeks that summer of 1604 while Parliament sat, doing nothing at all about getting any gunpowder, then decided to disperse until the end of September. Well, the next session of Parliament wasn't scheduled until February 1605, but they now apparently decided they needed more than four months to get ready. Their target apparently would be the King's arrival to open Parliament in February 1605. Now, This is the story we've all been told since we were small children but do a little historical digging and it quickly makes no sense at all. There was in reality no reason at all to suppose that when Parliament sat, either James, his family or any of his leading councillors would have been there. These days we've grown
1: accustomed to watching on TV as the modern monarch appears at the state opening of the British Parliament every autumn. But the state opening ceremony only dates from November 1852, Many years ago, the historian Godfrey Anstruther pointed out that early in the 17th century, monarchs only attended the opening of newly elected parliaments and not those reconvened after a prorogation. James himself said so when he attended parliament after the plot was discovered. It was, he declared, contrary to the custom of any of his predecessors at the beginning of any session of parliament holden by prorogation. Now, the Parliament, that was due to meet in February 1605, but in fact didn't meet until 5th November, wouldn't be a new Parliament, but just another meeting for the Parliament already elected in 1604 and then per So as a result, nobody could possibly have expected the King to go along.
0: I say it again. Nobody could possibly have expected the King to go along. The historian Mark Nicholls, who is adamant that we should believe the government account points out that James was probably going to attend the new session – at some point – in order to receive the findings of the commissioners set up in 1604 to examine the Union of Scotland and England. Well, that may or may not be so, but the problem we have is with the at some point. The plotters could have had no more idea than we do when the commissioners would report, or when James would actually attend. In fact, the date of 5th of November 1605 seems singularly unlikely. Historian Godfrey Anstreffer discovered that Robert Cecil and 28 other peers had taken out proxies, that means a special permission not to attend Parliament, on that day. Which raises the question of whether they or the King would have been there that day. So if Guy Fawkes had lit his match and the powder had actually gone off, most of the existing government would have been sitting calmly elsewhere.
1: The government knew that the story they published in the King's book was unlikely, with the plotters hanging around with barrels of gunpowder buried beneath piles of timber, stones, and iron bars, just hoping the king would show up. So, in the government account, one of the first questions Guy Fawkes is supposed to have been asked when he was arrested on the 5th of November 1605 is why on earth he thought the king would be at Parliament that day. Fawkes allegedly replies that he thought, "Quotes, by general report, uh, and by making ready of the king's barge." that the king was coming thither the first day of this parliament, but confessive that his purpose was to have blown up the upper house whensoever the king was there. So that clears that up then. Either, noticing the king's barge being prepared, he and his associates were immediately able to smuggle 36 barrels of gunpowder unnoticed under parliament and hastily bury them under an enormous pile of lumber, or maybe they had prepared their elaborate bomb before... And Fawkes was going to hang around with his powder getting damp and becoming unstable, spending every night under the House of Lords with his match at the ready, praying that the king would come along. Sounds exactly the kind of plans an experienced mercenary soldier like Fawkes would come up with. As Godfrey Anstruther concluded, quotes, the spectacle of Guido Fawkes with tinder and flint awaiting the psychological moment is picturesque. But
0: not convincing. So, what historical evidence, besides the king's book, do we have for what the plotters might actually have been doing during the spring and summer of 1604? Well, they were certainly have been watching those peace talks between the Spanish and the English, hoping for concessions for the Catholics. We've seen from the Spanish documents that the plotters had all along been in contact with the Spanish court. An intriguing scrap of evidence comes from Anstruther's research in the Jesuits' own archives. He found that the Jesuit, Father Garnet, wrote repeatedly to his superior in Rome as the summer of 1604 wore on and the talks produced nothing, warning that a plot was now developing. Anstruther quotes copies of letters from the Jesuit archives. Father Garnet apparently wrote on the 29th of August 1604. Quotes Catholics will be no more quiet. Now that's just 11 days after the peace had finally been signed between Spain and England, offering no protection at all to English Catholics. What shall we do, wrote Father Garnet, Jesuits cannot hinder it.
1: But what was this plot that began to brew among a small number of English Catholics from some time in the summer of 1604? Was it a gunpowder plot, as the government alleged, or something completely different? Well, we can begin
0: to work out what was going on, not only from evidence that emerges from the autumn of 1604 and the spring of 1605, but from taking a wider look at plots and rebellions in this period. And that's what we'll do next time. At the History Cafe. For more on this story and others at our History Cafe, go to historycafe.org. There you'll find information about us and also about further reading you can do. It's also a way to ask us any questions you might have. Or
1: contact us on social media at History Cafe Pod.